if you're in sales and you and you want to get in cannabis, there's a lot to consider beforehand. And I think there are many, many risks. But if your fear is that you will be stigmatized, use that as an asset and leverage it to have conversations with people to change their minds. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I have Francesca Vavilo with me, and we're going to be talking about the green rush, sales in the emerging cannabis industry, which is a fascinating topic. Francesca, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm really excited to be on. I'm glad to have you here. Um, by way of introduction, Francesca is the co-founder and marketing director at Alias Can. It's an on-demand on cannabis sales and marketing agency that was uh, founded a few years ago in 2017 out of Delaware. Francesca is a cannabis entrepreneur, advocate, and speaker. She uh, She's going to share some of her sales strategies and best practices with other cannabis businesses and and help their help those businesses share the power of cannabis and and let all the salespeople that listen to the show know how this industry works and and uh, kind of talk about how, what it means for them or could mean for them. So Alias Can is a member of the National Cannabis Industry Association. So. Let's jump in. Francesca, tell me a little bit about, uh, about yourself. Tell me about your unique history. What sure. prompted uh, your passion for the cannabis industry? So I uh, was probably the last person to ever guess that I would have a passion for the cannabis industry um, or cannabis in general. I definitely grew up as a a more straight edge kind of dare kid and just said no when I thought that cannabis was this dangerous illicit drug. And that's what, that's what Nancy Reagan taught me when I was in fourth grade. Yeah, we all listened to her, right? Or some, <laughs> <laughs> she was wrong. Um, <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was I was working with my now partner Mike Patterson in his uh, business, his original mainstream business as a sales and marketing company called the alias group and i was working as a marketing director in there when he looked at the cannabis space and said this looks really interesting this is new up and coming you see a lot of manufacturers you see a lot of producers and you have nobody that really is doing professional sales and he said i think that there's an opportunity for us to take our current business model and apply it to the cannabis space and so he approached me and said i'd like you to be a partner in this business and found it with me and i didn't know anything about cannabis. So I started doing my due diligence and research and reading up on everything, um, discovering that everything I thought to be true was wrong and um, that cannabis actually was very much um, ideologically, morally, um, everything a fit for me. So then we looked at the industry as a whole and said, there is massive opportunity here. So uh, let's see what we can do. How can we help and serve this industry? And really what I brought to it was um, the, the kind of turning point for us, the, the like key in the engine moment was Mike and I were at um, a conference that's known as MJ BizCon, but they used to have, 
they, they're big conferences in the West in Vegas, and then there are smaller conferences out East. And at that time, um, years ago, they were doing one in Washington, DC, which they don't do anymore. Um, but they, we went and walked the show and talked about it. And I said, yeah, if we're gonna do this, we have to do this right. We have to do it um, not as leeches or as somebody coming in and seeing this as a money grab, but as being a part of the community, a part of the bigger conversations and a part of the activism and the issues that drive this industry as well as the industry itself. And he said, I'm all in. So. Um, so we partnered up and started, uh, moved from the alias group, you know, he sold that to his uh, his second in that, and then he and I started Alias Can. Fantastic. Well, and, and you know, it's a distribution and, and sales and marketing, you know, as an industry matures can often become a key piece of, a, of the whole value chain in, in an industry. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, through Badger, I, I work with a lot of distributors and, and uh, you know, in the medical device industry or I mean the especially the dental industry I mean that that so much of what dentists use go go get passed through the hands of distributors and and in, in lots of industries I mean I've talked to people that are in the candle distribution industry before <laughs> that, that use yeah. badger and so it's 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 a huge industry I think for um it, it's it, as a market as a market matures, often there be there develops this distribution channel in the middle. So I, I think your your observation was spot on, and 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 it's just it's new in this industry, which is which is what's so exciting. I mean, so the, cannabis has had this long period of prohibitions. Cannabis and CBD and all the other products that that can be made from it have been illegal forever, right? And well, for the last eighty years anyway. And mm-hmm. um, the now it's kind of experiencing this green rush this modern uh you know it's the gold rush that is they're calling it the green rush can you tell me uh in your experience how can you describe how different this new industry is and and compare it to to other industries that you've been involved in or that you've been exposed to sure it's um very different in almost every way (laughs) except a couple that are critical and that fortunately are still relevant so that um it really has shown me that certain principles of sales are universally true and that maybe our applications of them are what we always need to adjust. So, um, you know, what I see in the cannabis industry in terms of the differences versus the other industries, Mike, uh, Mike's other business is in the Teflon industry. And so we were in industrial coatings and very, very different world where it's Mm -hmm. the, old white guys making things and selling them to usually other old white guys to be applied that you guys, that the consumers would never see. They, they are never a part of that. So it's mm-hmm. spraying Teflon or um, powder coatings or hooks and racks to dry things. And that's just not as um, this, this is not the same as cannabis, but what we see now is that, we have a much more diverse market in cannabis. We have a lot more women. We have a lot more people of color. We have a lot more equity in terms of the mix of people that we deal with, which is such uh, an exciting and, and um, you know, optimistic kind of observation to have in there. So that's definitely different. Um, the other thing that's different is that we have we've operated in mature industries for years and years and cannabis is the exact opposite of that and so with that comes massive changes very quickly and that you can we tried to make i remember one of the first things we did was like okay let's make our one-year business plan when we first got started and we started building that and we realized 
I think maybe even three months in, we're like, well, this is all irrelevant now because everything changed <laughs> in a month or three sure. months. So that's been a massive um, adjustment in terms of how we approach the business and saying, yes, you need a plan, but you need to be more flexible than you ever thought possible in the cannabis industry because with one headline or one um, political maneuver or one um, crisis in a product, you you have an entire industry shifting on a dime. So it's been different. And then the other way that's been different is that in that immaturity, people aren't necessarily valuing sales and marketing the way that they would in a mature industry because mature industries have been through the highs and lows. They've experienced plateaus and that's where the value behind having a professional sales force to, um, to sell your products becomes important because you're like, gosh, I don't want to be there again. I want to grow and I don't know how to do that. And you're answering all these problems. Mm -hmm. Well, in the immature industry, they've never had that. In fact, they're, like you said, it's a green rush. So if everybody's at the peak, who needs sales? We don't want to spend money on that. We have customers coming to us left and right without even asking. So mm -hmm. it, that was definitely a massive adjustment as well. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I have a, a unique perspective because, you know, people, people who have field sales, people, buy buy the product that I, I run the company for right so i see there were we, i wasn't talking or hearing about anything in the cannabis industry five years ago and then in the past few years it's just it's really blown up to where there's tons of people in the cannabis industry that that use our product and i you know and, and i uh i guess it wouldn't have been it actually does make sense that it's an outside sales focused industry but um but it, it, like I just, it wasn't around before and now it's, it's huge. So what, what, what would you say the role of, of outside sales is in the cannabis industry? Because, you know, as you know, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are, are, uh, are in outside sales or, or, you know, manage your outside sales teams or do the operations for it. So it, how, how does outside sales fit in this industry? If I were an outside salesperson, where would be a great, where would I be getting a job or how, where would I fit in? It's a great question. Um, it's a tough one to answer because everybody, because things are volatile. And so people are trying to find that business model that works best for them mm -hmm. with the least overhead and the most revenue. And that can be tricky. Right now, what I see a lot of are people that are hiring 1099, um, you know, salespeople to go and be feet on the street in certain geographical markets and saying, okay, so here you guys go and you sell um, this self-contained grow unit in this city right now. And then they'll hire a bunch of them and do that. Or a lot of it will be um, handling incoming calls for, let's say it's a bulk supply um, CBD oil manufacturer and they get a ton of leads coming in. They can't handle them all. Uh, so they'll hire a bunch of 1099 people to pick up the phone and speak to their products. They'll train them virtually. I mean, you may never meet your coworkers. So there's a lot of that happening. Um, there's also mm -hmm. brands that are, big players that may have a dedicated Salesforce team and they are housed in one place and then they send them out to go work certain territories. And so you build that Nashville market of, mm -hmm. you know, for CBD or whatever it is. Um, and you focus on New York city for this other thing. So there's a, there's a lot of different opportunities to play, but what I'm seeing is that there, and unfortunately for Elias Ken, what we're seeing is that people are finding problems with, 
having that kind of distance between themselves and their people and that management is something that people think they can do because it certainly sounds easy when you list out the tasks, but when you actually go to do it, um, it's not because it'll always be your lowest priority or because you have certain hurdles you don't expect or because you're not used to it or you don't know how to do it. Um, so retention rates are incredibly low in the cannabis industry and you can see anything from bud tenders that turn over in Colorado. It's something, I mean, it's, I think the retention rate, something like 14% every 90 days, your turnover is 86 or whatever percent. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, that, that, so, and that's, that's probably, there's probably a few things going on there. I mean, one is I think there's a lot of jobs in it right now, which is one of the reasons why, you know, we wanted to bring you on here when we found out what, what you did. Um, just to help people understand it is uh, so if a, if a someone who's a bud tender is leaving after 90 days it's probably not cuz being a bud tender is a is an awful job by the way a bud tender that's someone who works in a cannabis store and helps you pick your weed yes okay so um it's probably not a terrible job right you sit around and get high with people all day talk and talk about weed like i bet there's a lot of people that like to do that but they're probably getting better job offers doing something else in the industry right <laughs> that are more lucrative or, you know, something. That's why they're turning over. Yeah. Um, I would they guess. Are. Yeah, they can be. They can also say, well, if I don't like it here, there's, you know, 12 dispensaries down the street or within a mile of me that I can go to. So right. they'll job hop that way. Or they'll say, or they'll say, wow, I thought being a bud tender was, you know, getting high with a bunch of people and not really having to worry about it, but actually it requires a lot of knowledge about what you're carrying, what it does, why it does that, what it mm -hmm. serves, what are the benefits. And suddenly it's more work than they thought. And they're like, <laughs> and, uh, it's, and it's really hard to do when you're really high. <laughs> um, so, well, and in terms of like uh, outside sales, I guess places that I've seen people using badgers so I'm, that I've gotten exposed to this industry, people that are selling like the, types of things you need to grow mm -hmm. uh weed so like like we've had dirt manufacturers and uh and yes by the way you, you man there are manufacturers of dirt like specialty dirt for different things uh for and so like there's dirt there's a dirt company that makes great dirt for for marijuana so mm -hmm. there's lots of little ed there's lots of little industries within this industry that are all blowing up right now so like everything from the yeah so with the, the lights and the, the 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 type of um watering equipments that you use and all, all anything that is used in the growing i've seen that it be an outside sales job getting that out to people or selling it to like local um stores that either specialize in in weed growth because like it became illegal to grow in lots of states right so it, there's this huge industry and people selling the stuff that you need to grow it if, for people that want to just grow it on their own. And so selling it to stores that spe specifically uh, sell that type of equipment and also just regular garden type stores. They, and so there's outside salespeople for that. I've seen outside salespeople that go around and sell different products to the actual dispensaries um, and other places that you can purchase it. I've seen outside salespeople um, going around and selling things to companies that are in the industry. So like, like the, the types of things they need to run the business, whether, it, you know, um, so it's ba basically there's, it, it is a, it is a face to face industry. Like a lot of industries are, and it's an industry that needs just mass has a massive distribution problem, which is often a place you see field salespeople. So there, I, I suspect that there are, and will continue to be a ton of field sales jobs in this industry. Um, and it's just kind of right now, 
but it, it definitely seems like a lot of decisions are made face to face here. And you and you're talking about the the struggles of doing this over the phone, right? And companies have tried to do that and have bumped their heads on it. So, which is which is very common, right? I mean, uh, every co companies that sell dental supplies, it would be cheaper for them to just have just service it over the phone out of the Philippines or wherever. But they they can't, right? You they have to pay for a you know thousand person field sales force to go out into the the field and meet with the dentist, sit down with the dentist consultatively sell them and and be be a partner to them and uh and help them make purchasing decisions and that's that's why they get to capture the mar margin they do because of that service and that that role that they play yeah it's funny there's a lot of work that can be done over the phones because we are um a hybrid company in terms of inside and outside sales we'll combine the two and mm -hmm. and blur those lines a little bit so sure. i would say a majority of the upfront work can be done on the phone. And we're in Delaware, we're not in California, we're not in you know Nevada, we're not in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Yet our clients are across the country. So we are able to essentially tee up leads, qualify people in or out, and then we can close on the phone for mm -hmm. certain products in certain markets under certain circumstances. Right. But field sales people will never be fully replaced by a telephone conversation. And so what we often do is either act as their field salesperson, depending on if they need that as well. Um, and we can do that with a certain frequency at an economical value, or we will partner with all those 1099 people that they hired and we mm -hmm. can manage them and we can say, all right, now you're reporting essentially to us and we become this central hub of a sales team for them. So that's the alias concept is that we do the work for you as you, we operate under the alias of our clients' names. So um, you'll never get a call from Francesca at alias can, unless I'm actually trying to talk to you about sales services, mm -hmm. but you might get a call from um, just pulling what like Nick at contender gardens. If you're at a dispensary in Washington to see if you would like to carry contender gardens, bud, and you know, you don't know that it's not him in Washington, but once that's quality lead is, is followed up and it's yes. Yeah, and a sample Well, there's licensing and restrictions and legalities around limiting us from doing that. And so then, um, the owner of contender gardens will send his rep to that uh, place or he'll go to it and finish the sale and close it. But oh, okay. what we do is we're, we're big in saving time, um, saving energy, allowing people to work at their highest level on their most important things by taking away the things that maybe are important, but they don't have to specifically do. We can do them for you as you. Okay, very cool. It's so cool to see this industry developing and, and get to get to understand a little bit. What you mentioned uh, the legal hurdles. Tell me a little bit about the the challenges that um, that you run into working in the cannabis sales industry. What what what's uniquely going on there that make it hard? There's a lot. <laughs> this could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but uh, just to give you a high level, there are financial challenges, and that can look like um, there's an IRS call, code called 280E which says that um, basically cannabis companies cannot deduct their expenses um, as like tax free, essentially. So you're getting taxed on everything, not your, on your gross, not your net. Oh, wow. So you are really overpaying Uncle Sam for that thing that he doesn't let you actually do federally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound fair. <laughs> no, no, imagine that. <laughs> then, uh, 
And then there's financial challenges in terms of banking. Um, you know, we have the Safe Banking Act that I think is has passed or is about to pass, but banks themselves are going to be very risk adverse. And so having everything from a payment processing to actual banking and not carrying cash to insurance on your products or your, your valuables, your money, all of those are challenging because of the federal prohibition. And sure. then legally in terms of um, operations, there's a lot uh, of hurdles there. For example, we couldn't do... Um, our model of calling and selling actual cannabis to dispensaries in California because of the way they're set up, because they have this whole distributor model that doesn't work with what we do. The distributors have the power, not the bud tenders, not the growers, but it works in Washington. And so like finding the states that where your model works can take a lot of work and then testing that and running that. And is it scalable based on how many states you can operate in? Um, all of that is so not like anything else. It's like, well, if I'm going to sell, like you said, dental equipment, I'm, there's really not a whole lot that's going to restrict me from one market to the next. But Absolutely. each market is very different in cannabis by state or by city or county even. Well, and and you're, maybe you're not even thinking about this yet, but by country. I mean, these the, yep. the big dental distributors, are these are global companies. They're, yeah. they're doing business in China and Europe and South America and, and, and you know, a lot of their businesses here, but everybody in the world has teeth and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great motto. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, um, the, uh, one, another interesting thing to talk about is, is how many women work in the cannabis sales industry. What it's got a super high concentration of women compared to a lot of industries and sales. What's your experience been there and, 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 uh, what's it been like being a part of that movement? It's a great question because I think the answer can almost change as quickly as the industry evolves. Uh, certainly the focus on women being, um, sort of a center figure in cannabis was an early discussion and it happened a lot and people were very like pro women and pro people of color and all of that stuff. And, and it was like, okay, women, this is our industry. We can do this. We can dominate it. And what I'm seeing now is that there is sort of a shift and there's fewer conversations about that happening. And there's much more of a focus of like, who's going to last. And it's not about who, what gender is at the head of the company, which usually means when we stop talking about it, that is going back to a status quo, uh, which we know is a male dominated and often a white male dominated world. So what I'm seeing is that as big names come in, as big money comes in, that there can be a shift away from the inclusiveness that I think made cannabis such an attractive community to begin with. But I also see a lot of fight to continue with that inclusiveness, with the diversity, with the diversity of the community and the industry. And I think there is a lot more of a platform for us to talk as women as leaders than in any other industry, which is really exciting because there, there needs to be more of that. The representation is important to everyone, that everybody sees that they can be whatever it is that they aspire to be. That's why we need to have these figureheads that look different um, so that everyone can see themselves in those roles. So I, I love that and I love the opportunity of that. And on a very small scale, like in, in my company, my partner, um, Mike and I are very much equals in, op in operations and he's very good with like, I'm going to keep this thing, you know, on this side of it. And if, and I think you should be the face of it because it's important for people to see a woman as the, the head of a company more so than seeing me as the head of a company. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's really nice. It's like, we are 
slowly but surely going to change minds and open them, but it doesn't happen in one industry. It doesn't happen in three years. It's, um, it's systemic, um, obviously change that we need to make. So it's a, it's a long haul for sure, but I like that we're having the conversations that in every podcast I've been interviewed in, I think this question has come up. So it's like, yes, let's keep talking about that. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, yeah. So I love it. I love it. It's definitely uh, the zeitgeist right now, for sure. So, well, what about uh, if you were a sales rep? There, there has in the past been a stigma around the cannabis industry, right? M namely, that it's illegal and you know, et cetera. Uh, that may still linger in some people's minds. What would you tell a salesperson who's interested in the cannabis industry, but who maybe is concerned about um, leaving their job in brake sales or dental sales or med device sales uh, because because of those reputational issues. What would, what, would, what advice would you have there? I see the stigma as an opportunity and as part of our mission to to lift that and to have more consciousness around where did that stigma come from? Why? Did it hold fast for so long? And what did we lose by believing in it? And I think there are important answers embedded in that. So if, if you're in sales and you, and you want to get in cannabis, there's a lot to consider beforehand. And I think there are many, many risks, but if your fear is that you will be stigmatized, use that as an asset and leverage it to have conversations with people to change their minds. Because certainly that did happen to me. I mean, my former life, I was a high school English teacher. And so I was the one that was, you know, disciplining kids for carrying weed or selling weed or smoking weed. And, um, and that's very different than now. I certainly <laughs> know. Now you're selling it to them. <laughs> you're like, oh, great. You, you graduated high school. Well, that's fantastic. I've got a product for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're sending me their resumes and I'm like, yeah, I know you're qualified. So, um, <laughs> But there, there's definitely an opportunity to end the stigma and to treat it as a cause and then as a mission. But mm -hmm. in terms of if you can't let go of that, if you are still tied to the, well, well, I don't use it as to separate yourself as above, then this mm -hmm. isn't the industry for you. So right. that's okay. That's okay. That's not me trying to ostracize anyone, but it's saying you, you have to check yourself and you have to be involved truly. You don't have to smoke it, but you have to understand why people use it. You have to know mm -hmm. that it's not dangerous, that it's not illicit, that it's not the boogeyman. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the gateway. And if you can't buy in that way, then you shouldn't be in to get your money. So right. that's the biggest thing. Um, well, Biggie Small said, don't get high off your own supply. But uh, he was, I think that was referring to crack, not, not weed. So. <laughs> Different market. <laughs> <Not the> <laughs> <laughs> crack will probably stay illegal just just yeah, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> if all um, we know about it to be true is true so so yes well let's let's talk about the future what do you what do you what is the future of the cannabis sales industry in in your mind where do you see the cannabis sales industry being 10 years from now will it look like will it look like the dental distribution industry or will it look like the tobacco um, or will it, will it stay distributed like this with lots of small distributors, um, no, no giant player, um, uh, background being like the, the tobacco distribution industry is like pretty consolidated. There's, you know, it's big companies that have, you know, 500 sales reps. So the, the, the dental distribution market is basically owned by 
three companies and they, they have thousands of sales reps. Like, it, does it look like that to you or, or will it remain um, fragmenting? I think fragmentation will naturally go away. I think it, that even now I see companies entering the market and everyone's looking to either acquire or be acquired. That's, that's a lot of people's approach is like, I'm going to build this to sell it, or I am going to um, build this to buy others. And that's how I'm going to build. So I definitely think consolidation is in the future of cannabis. What I see it as and what I've heard the most, although 10 years is a long time and it's a very unpredictable field, but I see a lot of parallels in alcohol, Mm. not in its, application or anything similar in terms of the products, but in the industry build, because you have your course lights and your bud lights and, you know, these are competitors, but everybody has their preference and that's okay. Um, but then you also have your craft beers and you have people that really want to, um, patronize and really consider themselves connoisseurs of, you know, a very specific kind of beer of a small label or a a small grow of, you know, a small vineyard for wine or something along those lines that Tito's start, Tito's vodka started out of a guy's van in Austin, Texas, and now it's huge. So Mm -hmm. I think you can still have new brands emerge and grow. You can still have a Dogfish Head Brewery. You can still have a Tito's Vodka. But most of the time, you're going to see Coors Light, Bud Light, and understand those. And then it'll become either um, taste, preference, um, pretension, something that lets you get into the smaller guys who will have room to play. My fear is that the OG growers, the ones in Humboldt and Mendocino and the, the Emerald Triangle, are not going to have their space that they should have. They were here long before it was an industry. And they everything we know about growing good cannabis comes from how they've done it illegally and how they were penalized for decades for it. They shouldn't be in jail. They should be the heads of things. But unfortunately, I think the market and is going to maybe not work out that way. So I think there's gonna be major changes and big shifts that we will see coming to some degree, but there'll still be pleasant surprises of the little guy getting a win and um, mm-hmm. small business prevailing and things like that. Yeah, well, when, when there's roll-ups of, in, in, in industries like this, a lot of times there's a lot of small, a lot of little guys that get a lot of, a lot of little wins, but you know, getting, getting acquired for some business that you started for $5 million is $5 million. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of ways to win uh, in, a, in a consolidated industry for sure. Um, well, let's do the next section of the show. I like to call sales in 60 seconds, and that's basically quick questions, quick answers. Sure. Um, so tell me, what's the most rewarding part of being involved in the cannabis sales industry? The most rewarding part about being involved in the cannabis sales industry is the people I meet and the lessons I learn. I continue to learn every single day something I didn't know the day before. And to me, there's nothing more exciting and rewarding than being a lifelong learner. And I'm learning that from people that are so different from me or different backgrounds and that there's a great appreciation for sharing that information back and forth. I teach them, they teach me. It's a really friendly, wonderfully opening uh, uh, welcoming community. 
And what's the first piece of advice you'd give a salesperson looking to transition into cannabis sales? First piece of advice I'd give somebody transitioning into cannabis sales or wanting to is just because you smoke weed doesn't mean you can sell it. Uh, <laughs> just because you have an idea doesn't mean you have a business and um, do your homework. Do not come in thinking that because you are a big shot in your industry, you're going to be a big shot in this one. It is it's time to humble yourself and open your ears and, and open your mind and you'll get more out of it and give more out of it that way. Great advice. What would you say the biggest drawback to cannabis sales is? Oh, the biggest drawback is its fragility, its volatility, its fragmentation. Um, Mike and I know that we have a model that works and we also know that we're a little early with it because it's taken about a year at least for people to see any value in um, having a professional sales force. So it's definitely that, that, unsteady ground beneath our feet that becomes the biggest drawback. What's the number one myth of cannabis that you'd like to dispel? Ooh, the number one myth of cannabis I'd like to dispel. If people don't already know it, I really need them to know that it is a wonderful plant that has incredible healing properties and that we never should have had it withheld from us to begin with. It was wrong. It's like withholding medicine from sick people. When do you see cannabis becoming legal on a federal level? Like what, what's the, tell me about the politics of the situation. There's every now and then a headline that pops up that says, you know, the Congress is voting on a cannabis federal such and such or whatever. I don't see it becoming legal this year, federally. I think it depends on the election in a lot of ways. Um, who, the, pre the presidential, presidential election? election? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I think the presidential election is going to have some influence on it. But ultimately, California needs to figure out um, how to get their black market under control and their legal market, you know, really booming before people I think can feel comfortable having more states adopt and then seeing its proof. So my hope is that it legalizes in two to three years. My expectation is it legalizes closer to five years federally. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've lived in California uh, since 2001. So it's, it's felt, it's, it feels out here that it's been legal since, since I got here. So <laughs> I don't know, I don't know when that started, but uh, it's always felt pretty legal, but I, Lucky I know you. That's, that's not the case in the rest of the country for sure. No. Um, okay. Uh, as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople listening today do as a first step if they're interested in pursuing a transition into this new and booming industry? If they're really serious about transitioning into it, I think what they need to do is find their area of focus that they want to operate in. For myself, it was, this is what we already do well, and this is what we love doing, so let's take it to cannabis. And that's usually the best business model to follow. Um, is it making a product? Is it growing a plant? Is it you know helping in a service provider way? Um, so do that, and then start going to trade shows. Go to MJ BizCon in Vegas, the biggest show of the year for 
um, cannabis. And then also go to hyper local shows to check out what your, or I should say, go to shows in the markets that you want to operate in. Go visit dispensaries, talk to people on LinkedIn, talk to these professionals and get involved in chats with them. And then, you know, see how, talk to talk to lawyers too by the way figure out because there's a lot of expenses and a lot of legalities around starting a cannabis business so consider what you um, need to have to safeguard your business before you start it all right great advice well i'm going to attempt to summarize some of the wisdom that francesca's given her today given us today um so Francesca and her partner, Mike, saw an opportunity to uh, build a formal sales and distribution model within the, the emerging cannabis industry. Um, she found that and believed that certain principles of sales are, are universally true and salespeople can apply these principles to new industries like the cannabis industry. Um, the cannabis industry is a, is a new industry, so it's still evolving for businesses and we're not quite sure where things are going and where the opportunities are. So you've got to be, you've got to be nimble. Um, outside salespeople are getting involved in cannabis sales in different ways. And there's a ton of emerging jobs in, in this market. Certain parts of the cannabis sales process can be done over the phone and, but some other parts uh, you really need to be, doing that with field salespeople and, and how that, and I think a lot of industries are kind of figuring, figuring that out. What, what can we do over the phone? What can we do and what do we need to do in the field? What's the best split? What shortens sales cycles the most? What's most profitable? Um, I, I, I see tons of companies dealing with that trade off all the time and, and the, how many, uh, how many of each type they want and how they have them work together. There's a higher amount of, uh, a higher percentage of women and people of color in the cannabis industry and it offers a huge opportunity for for uh, diverse populations to to have access to to awesome high paid jobs um, Francesca sees the future of the cannabis industry evolving to be a lot like the beer industry in the u s with big players like Bud Light but also with craft breweries and and uh, and and she sees a lot of the small players rolling up and, and getting some some nice wins in in the next decade really cool advice and thoughts francesca this has been a, a unique ver uh podcast for us you know talking about a specific industry but this was just you know when when i heard you talk i was just like oh this is so cool and you know she i think our listeners will really enjoy this um where, where can our listeners read more about your work and and where can they reach out to you Oh, thank you so much, Steve. Um, you guys can always visit us at aliascan.com. That's A-L-I-A-S-C-A-N-N, -N, extra N for cannabis, uh, .com <laughs> is our website. You can check out our services and what we're doing there. And you can always email me at francesca at aliascan.com. Um, and certainly if you have a stage and you need to hear some more about cannabis, more about sales, more about building a business. Um, happy to share all of that with you and always looking for opportunities to engage, educate, and learn myself. Well, excellent. This has been uh, another fun episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If, if anyone listening has friends or uh, acquaintances that would be interested in this industry or would like to learn more about it, definitely uh, share this podcast with them. 
Um, and always please leave us a rating uh, for the podcast if, uh, if you find these helpful. It uh, really helps spread the word around, uh, around iTunes, et cetera. Uh, Francesca, thanks a ton for joining us. This has been awesome. And take care until next time, everybody.